ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we were discussing the pillars and the wajibat the obligations of the prayer from the obligations we had mentioned that all of the takbirat are obligations in the prayer apart from the there is one takbir which is not an obligation in the prayer the first one because that one is a pillar of the prayer so takbiratul ihram the opening one is a pillar the rest of them are obligations meaning if you miss any of the others your prayer is valid you just got to do the prostration of forgetfulness at the end the next or second type of wajib now is the tasbihat fi ruku' wa sujood saying subhana rabbiyal azim and subhana rabbiyal a'la in the ruku' and then in the sujood saying subhana rabbiyal azim in the ruku' and subhana rabbiyal a'la in the sujood are both from the wajibat so if you did your ruku' and didn't say that or you did your sajda but didn't say anything your prayer is valid your prostration has been done the ruku' has been done but you haven't said what you were supposed to say in it so you'll have to do the prostration of forgetfulness if that occurs because there's two things to remember doing the ruku' itself is a pillar but reciting subhana rabbi al-azim is a wajib so as long as you've done the action the pillar has counted but you forgotten to recite what you were supposed to recite you'll have to do the prostration of forgetfulness after that number 3 and 4 is at-tasmi' wa tahmid when you come out of ruku' what do you say sami'a Allahu liman hamida and rabbana wa lak alhamd these two are both wajib sami'a Allahu liman hamida and rabbana wa lak alhamd as you are coming up you're supposed to be saying sami'a Allahu liman hamida once you now stood then you should say rabbana wa lak alhamd So those two are also wajib to say that. The only difference is when you are in the congregational prayer in the jama'ah and the imam says sami'allahu liman hamida what do you say now? Do you say just rabbana wa lakal hamd or all of it still sami'allahu liman hamida rabbana wa lakal hamd? Either way. It's a difference of opinion. Some scholars they say just say rabbana wa lakal hamd others they say no all of it sami allahu liman hamida rabbana wa lakal hamd so those two are wajib again to say them if you forget it's the prostration of forgetfulness once again number 
is the first sitting and the tashahud reading. In a prayer which is three raka'at or four raka'at long, you're going to have two sittings in it. The first sitting, the first time you sit down for the first tashahud, after the second raka'ah, it's a wajib. Meaning if you prayed, for example, Maghrib, after the second raka'ah, you're supposed to sit down, tashahud, then you get up and do the last one. Imagine you forgot, and you just got up and started praying your third raka'ah. Prayer valid or not? Valid, but at the end you're going to have to do prostration of forgetfulness again, because that initial sitting, the first sitting and the tashahud are wajib. Also, in between the two prostrations when you sit, what are you supposed to be saying? The scholars they mention saying that twice, that this needs to be said during that sitting in between the two prostrations. And if you forget that, once again, it is the prostration of forgetfulness. The prostration of forgetfulness and all the rulings about it, there's a chapter we're going to do on that, a mini chapter at the end of the book coming up, about the prostration of forgetfulness. Here the Sheikh mentions it is a wajib. Maybe difference, some scholars may not call it as wajib. There are some differences on some of them. Here, Ashaykh al-Athaymeen, he mentions it is a wajib to say, Rabbi You must say that in between the two prostrations. Uh, then after that, we'll move on to the next small chapter. That basically now covers the prayer. You've done the description of the prayer You've seen what the pillars are, what the obligations are. Now there's some other sections that are important to know generally. Generally about Islam and practicing Islam. And they have a link to the prayer as well. So here in this sub-chapter, chapter 10 of the book, it mentions two principles of the religion. Two points about the religion that we should all understand. And the point of a principle is, when you understand a principle, you can apply it in lots of different scenarios. Once you understand what the principle in Islam is, then whenever a scenario faces you, you can think back to that principle and know what to do and how to behave. So the Shaykh is going to mention two principles here. The first one is, Isabatu Sunnah, أَفْضَلْ مِنْ كَثْرَةِ الْعَمَلِ This is a principle now. Doing worship in accordance to the sunnah, that is better than just doing lots and lots and lots of worship, but not doing it exactly how the sunnah says. Imagine now two people, one person, he only does a bit of worship. But what he does, does it perfectly how the sunnah says. Another person does lots of worship, much more than him. But a lot of what he does isn't exactly what the sunnah is saying, how you do it. So he ends up doing lots of things that are not quite what the sunnah has said you should do. So this one has got much more worship he's done overall, but it's not quite all precisely on the sunnah. Another person does less than him. 
But at least what he does is perfectly done on the sunnah. That one is better. Doing less but perfect on the sunnah is better than trying to do lots of worship and going outside of what the sunnah has said. The examples will show what that means here. One example of that is in Fajr prayer. In Fajr prayer, once the time of Fajr begins, <coughs> once the time of Fajr begins, up until sunrise starts the Fajr time, there is no prayer allowed to be prayed in that time. It's one of the prohibited times. The only prayer you can pray in there is the actual Fajr and the two Sunnah before it. And you could pray, for example, Tahiyatul Masjid, if you were praying it separate, even though you don't really need to, unless you prayed your sunnah at home. But outside of those prayers, there's no other nafil, nawafil prayers. The two sunnah of fajr. The two sunnah of fajr. What is mentioned in the sunnah about those two sunnah of fajr? What are you supposed to recite in them? After the fatiha in the first rak'ah, in the second one, the two sunnah of fajr, in the first rak'ah, you're supposed to recite, small surah. In the second one, very small surah. Your two rak'at, are they going to take a long time or are they going to be short then? They're going to end up quite short, even if you make your ruku a bit long, sujood a bit long, still it's not going to be that long. Because all you're reciting is, that is what the sunnah says you should do in your two sunnah of fajr. Imagine now a person comes into the mosque one day, walks in and gets there when the adhan is being done. And between the adhan and the fajr prayer could be 25 minutes sometimes, half an hour sometimes maybe. He walks in just when the adhan has been done. So he knows now there's at least 20 minutes before the iqamah for fajr prayer, 25 maybe. So he decides to himself, I gotta pray my two sunnah of fajr yet. Let me recite some really long surahs. Let me just do surah Baqarah, do like 50 ayahs, 60 ayahs in the first rak'ah, 50, 60 ayahs in the second rak'ah. Let me make my two sunnah of fajr 20 minutes long. Fill up the time before fajr prayer. Seems like a good thing. You got 20 minutes before fajr. Let me just make the recitation really long in the first rak'ah. Really long in the second rak'ah, make my two sunnah of fajr a 20 minute long prayer. And just when I finish, it'll be time for the fard. What do you think about that? Compared to another person who walks in at the same time as him and prays, just قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ And they sit down and read the Qur'an till fajr prayer. Which one is better? The one who prayed really fast or short? In this case, you may say, how come? This guy has walked in, he's prayed 20 minutes, he's been praying. Is he going to get reward for that prayer? Yeah. Absolutely, he'll get reward for it. 20 minutes long, reciting in the first rak'ah, reciting in the second rak'ah. Long prayer. The other guy walked in, same time as him, finished in 5 minutes. And then sat down just reading the Qur'an. He is better, he gets more reward. Because what he's done is what the sunnah says you're supposed to do at fajr time. The other man, he had good intention, he did good, he prayed a long prayer, he'll get reward for it, nothing wrong, he'll get reward for it. But, what he's done is not as good as the other guy. Because the other person, 
He's prayed a short prayer, nowhere near as long as this one. But at least what he did was in accordance to what the sunnah says you're supposed to do at Fajr. So he's better. That's an example. That's one example. Another example. Another example. And this one, obviously there are differences of opinion regarding it. But the issue of the taraweeh prayer. Salatu ihda asharata raka'a fi taraweeh afdal min thalathu ashreen. Principally speaking, principally speaking, forget about the actual difference of opinion, how many raka'at should you pray. But principally speaking, we know that the Prophet ﷺ never ever prayed more than maximum 13 in one narration. 11 or 13. He never prayed 20 or 23. That much everybody agrees. The Prophet ﷺ himself never prayed 20 or 23. He only ever prayed 11 or 13. But there are narrations from the Salaf, they used to pray more. They used to pray 20, 23, 30, 33. There's lots of narrations. So that's a different issue. We're not talking about that. All we want to talk about is what's proven from the Prophet ﷺ. He used to do maximum 11 or 13, never 20, 23. So now, principally speaking, principally speaking, which one is better? 8 or 20 as they say. Principally speaking, 8 is better. 8 plus the witter. 11 or 13. Principally speaking, that's better. Because the Prophet ﷺ, that's what he used to do. Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned, he never used to pray more than 11. And in one narration, 13 max. Never more than that. He never prayed 20. There's no narration ever. Nobody's going to try and tell you there's a narration that the Prophet ﷺ prayed 20. There isn't. But there are other proofs that show that it might be permissible to pray more than eight. There are proofs that show it might be permissible to pray more than eight. And that's why some scholars do have that opinion. Some scholars do have the opinion you can pray more than eight. But some scholars, they say it is restricted to just uh, 11 or 13. Eight plus the witter. Why do they have those opinions? What's the basic evidences? The people who say you should only pray eight, plus witr, their obvious evidence is the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, the narrations about him, that's exactly what he used to do. There are no proven narrations that he ever prayed 20. Eight, there are. That's an obvious proof to use then. What about the ones who say you can pray more? You don't have to stop at eight. You can pray more than that. Uh, well, eight, يعني, 11 or 13 with the witr. The ones who say you can pray more than that, you can pray 20, 23, 30, 33. What, what evidence are they going to use then? There is a hadith when a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him, how do I pray the night prayer? How do you pray taraweeh basically, the night prayer? The Prophet ﷺ said to him, pray it in twos. Pray two, give salam. Pray another two, give salam. Pray another two, give salam. That's how you pray. So the man took that information and went. Think about the situation. A man has come to the Prophet ﷺ asking him, how do I pray the night prayer? How do I pray it? The Prophet ﷺ has said to him, 
in twos, spraying twos, two, salam, two, salam, two, salam. And that's it, that's all he told him. So that man has gone away now, and he's going to pray the night prayer, how's he going to pray? Two, give salam, another two, give salam, another two, give salam. How many altogether is he going to pray? One, two, one, six. Two, two, two. Maybe two, maybe. Sorry, two, then eight, then. Why is he going to stop at eight? He went to the Prophet and asked him, how do I pray the night prayer? The Prophet said to him, in twos, in twos. So he's going to go home, now he's going to start praying in twos that night. How many twos is he going to pray? Did the Prophet tell him that you have to stop at eight? Did he say to him, in twos, twos, or by the way, though, stop at eight? Did he tell him? Uh-uh. So that man could go home now, pray in twos, just like the Prophet told him. Pray in twos, two, 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 twenty, thirty, forty. The Prophet never told him, two, 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 but stop at eight. If it was the case that you had to stop at eight, then in that situation when somebody comes to you now and says, how do I pray the night prayer? Isn't it an obvious thing to tell them at that point? That you pray in twos, but remember only up to eight. That's the max. Wouldn't that be an obvious piece of information if somebody comes and asks you, how do I pray the night prayer? Yeah. True or false? Yeah. Absolutely. It would be an obvi- not just an obvious, but a, a necessary piece of information. It would be a necessary piece of information. The fact that the Prophet ﷺ did not give what we would perceive as a very necessary piece of information indicates that obviously it's not a very necessary piece of information then. The fact that he didn't give it to him. He just said twos, twos, twos. So now some scholars said, there you go, that's a proof that you can pray. How many? 20, 30, 40. And there are some scholars that said 40. No problem. Two, 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 two. Because the Prophet did not restrict him. So that's an evidence. Whether you should do 20 exactly, because many people they say it has to be 20. That, you have to bring your proof then. For 20 exactly. There are some narrations about it, Umar ibn Khattab and things like that. They are weak, some of those narrations. But generally, to go over eight, there are evidences. To specify 20, Allah alam. But to go above eight, generally, there are evidences. So now, how are the first group of people going to respond? The first group of scholars, they're going to say, we can answer that. How are they going to answer that? Yeah. Which one? This was the man that came to the Prophet. Yeah, but there were a group of scholars who say you have to stop at eight. How are they going to explain the hadith then? How are they going to explain why the Prophet didn't tell him to stop at eight? Hmm? So they're going to say, the sunnah, when you practice the sunnah, do you pick one hadith by itself and practice it by itself? Or do you have to practice all of the sunnah together? Which one? Together, you don't just pick one hadith or one hadith and do it by itself. All the hadith have to be together to make sense. So now when you put the hadith together, here a man came and said to the Prophet, how do I pray? The Prophet told him in twos. Okay, that's one hadith. We know you pray in twos. Now we have another hadith of Aisha saying that the Prophet used to pray in twos up to a maximum of eight. With the witter, everything, 11.13. So now when you combine them, that would show therefore, you pray in twos up to 
8, 10, with the witter, 11, 13 max. They say, we're combining all the evidences. They say, you guys, you're taking that one hadith about the man. What about the hadith of Prophet ﷺ when he used to pray 8? Put that with it together. If you put it together, that means you pray in twos, 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 and you stop out with the witter, 11 or 13, that's it. So you can see the difference of opinion, why it exists about that. But that is a difference of opinion. The point here is, principally speaking, principally speaking, it would be better to pray just 11 or 13. Because that is what the Prophet used to do. Another example, fasting. If a person came along and said, I want to do this act of worship of fasting, outside of Ramadan, Ramadan obligatory of course, but in the other 11 months. A man comes along and he says, I want to do extra fasting. And I'm fit and strong. I'm going to fast every day of the year. Full 12 months, apart from Eid and those days which are not allowed to fast. Everything else, I'm going to just fast, fast, fast all the time. Every day. I'm just going to fast. Another guy comes and he says, I'm going to fast one day, miss the next day. Fast the next day, miss the next day. Fast one, miss one. Fast one, miss one. Which of the two is doing more worship? Uh, well, more worship. Who's doing more fasts? The first, the first one. He's doing more worship. But who's doing the better worship? Second one. Because the sunnah says the most fasting you should do, the best one you can do is, do one day, miss one day, do one day, miss one day. That's the best. That's the best the sunnah says. The other guy said, no, I can do more. I'm going to do worship. I'm going to fast, fast, fast every day. He's doing more worship. But the other person is doing better worship. Just like the guy in Fajr came pray 20 minute long sunnah. He's doing more worship. But the other guy did better worship. Because he's doing what the sunnah says. That's the point the shaykh is trying to make. If something is in the sunnah telling you how to do it, do it like that. Don't try and do it in some other longer way. Thinking I'll get more reward, I'll do it in this other way, I'll do more. Do how the sunnah tells you to do. Another example. Another example. After you do tawaf, in umrah for example, when you go for umrah for example, you go there, you do your tawaf. After the tawaf, what's the next thing you're supposed to do? Two rakah behind Maqam Ibrahim. It is sunnah again in those two rakahat. First one, second one, same thing. If a person came and said, I'm doing Umrah, this could be my only opportunity in my life. I'm going to pray my two rakahat behind Maqam Ibrahim one hour long. MashaAllah. Let me do 50 eyes in the first rakah, 50 eyes in the second rakah. Then I'm going to go do slowly my sa'i. Take one, two hours doing that. I want to do long six hour Umrah. Could be my only chance. So he's doing a lot of worship. But another guy comes along, he says, No, I'm gonna pray my two rakat in five minutes. Which one of them is better? Again, the one who just does The Sunnah tells you to do that, that's the best thing. So you stick to that. Another example. This one is very popular. Many people do this one. Another example is when people go to Hajj. They go to Hajj now. 
And you know there's three different ways of doing Hajj. The Ifrad, the Qiran, the Tamattu'ah. Three slightly different variations of how to perform Hajj. All of them are Hajj, all of them count. Just three different, slightly different methods. One of the methods, uh, known as the Tamattu'ah, you go there to Mecca, you do Umrah. Initially you do Umrah. Once you finish your Umrah, take off your Ihram everything, and then you wait, and on the day of Mina, 8th day of the Hijjah, put your Ihram on again and do your Hajj. So now you've ended up in your trip, you've done your Umrah, and you've done your Hajj. And in between you had that time break off. That's one of the methods. So when people go do that method, they go, they do their Umrah. Then they have maybe a week. Maybe you got a week until Hajj starts. In that week, what do people do? More umrahs. One for uncle, one for granddad, one for grandma, one for other auntie, one for other auntie, other side, one for mom's auntie, auntie. Lots of them, mashallah. Sometimes maybe two every day. They go where? They go to? Masdi Aisha. Tan'im. They go there, you see all the taxi drivers. Masdi Aisha, Tan'im, Tan'im, Tan'im. Tan'im is the name of the place. They take you there, you put your ihram on, you come in, you do umrah again. And that's, it's nothing, it's 20 minutes, half an hour just outside. They take you in the car, you go there to the masjid, masjid Aisha, you make your ihram, come back in again, do your umrah. Next day you can get up again, half an hour away in car, get ready, come back, do umrah again. That's what they do. Majority of the scholars, most of the scholars, they say, that is not correct. Why did they do that in the first place? What's the proof? Who did it? Aisha radiallahu anha. She was told by the Prophet go up to there, ihram from there and come. So now they follow that example. But that was a very particular circumstance. Because what had happened to Aisha at that time? The cycle, the monthly cycle had happened. And so she was unable to do the rites. And then afterwards, she was told to go do all of that. That was a particular circumstance. Many of the scholars say, if your circumstance matches exactly how Aisha's anha, circumstance was, you can do it. But if it doesn't, then you can't just keep going to Masjid Aisha doing Umrah, Umrah, Umrah. Many of the scholars say you shouldn't do that. It's a mistake to keep doing that. But everybody, they do that. And so it's not really what the scholars have mentioned. It's not really what's in the Sunnah. In the Sunnah, you will not find any example of any Sahabi doing that. You won't find a single narration that a companion went from Medina, for example, to Mecca, did Umrah, then they went to Masjid Aisha and did Umrah again. Not a single one. Why did the Sahaba not do it? Imagine in those days as well, imagine. They go from Medina to Mecca, how long it takes on their donkeys and horses. Don't you think they will think, let's take the opportunity to do three, four Umrahs before we go back. Not like now, it's easy still. Aeroplane and everything, it's a bit easier even now. Especially if you live in Medina now. Medina is 45 minutes, the aeroplane. Take it to Jeddah, from there 45 minutes in Makkah. In those days, not 45, not 45 days maybe. Don't you think they would have taken the opportunity and thought to themselves, we're here, let's go to Masjid Aisha, do a few Umrahs, then go back. Never, never. Why? Because they knew it is not Sunnah. If that was Sunnah, the Sahaba would all be doing it. Every time they came from Iraq and Sham and all those places they used to come from. Saeed ibn Jubair. He used to come twice a year from Iraq. Imagine where Iraq is and where Mecca is. 
Even now, these days, aeroplane takes a while. Car, imagine you had to drive that, how long that would take. Walking on donkeys in those days. He used to come twice a year from Iraq to, Medi- to Mecca and do once a year for Umrah, go back, come back once a year for Hajj, go back. It could take maybe, I don't know, one month of traveling, two months of traveling to come to do Umrah, two months back. Little bit of relaxation, start again two months to go Hajj, two months back. Few months of his year just traveling back there, back there. But still no narration that he used to do Umrah twice or three times. They traveled all those distances and they didn't think, let's take the opportunity. Masjid Aisha just there. Go there, do another Umrah, go there, do another. Let's do few, then go home. Never. Because it is not the Sunnah to do it. There is no Sunnah to do that. So the Shaykh says, doing that again is against the Sunnah. Somebody might think, I'm doing lots of worship. I'm here, let me take the opportunity, do five Umrahs before I go. Lots of worship. But you're going against the Sunnah. It's not in the Sunnah to do that worship like that. Some of the Salaf even used to say, there's a narration, uh, that one of the Salaf, Ata' Ata' rahimahullah, he said, إِنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ الَّذِينَ يَخْرُجُونَ إِلَى التَّنْعِيمِ وَيَأْتُونَ بِعُمْرَ لَا أَدْرِي أَيَأْثَمُونَ أَمْ يُثَابُونَ He said, these people who go from Mecca up to Masjid Aisha, Tan'im as it's known as, they go there and they come back and do Umrah. This is one of the tabi'een, one of the students of the Sahaba. He said, those people who do that, I don't even know. Is that something they're going to get reward for or are they actually sinners for doing that? He said, I don't even know. This is one of the students of the Sahaba saying this. This action of people going to Masjid Aisha, coming back, Umrah, Umrah, Umrah. He said, I don't know, maybe they even get sin for doing that. Opposing the sunnah. Maybe they even end up sin with that. I don't even know if they're going to get reward for that. That is one of the students of the Sahaba. So it's not really something which is mentioned you should do. If you do it, Allah alam. Some of the scholars may say it's okay, it's acceptable, you get reward, but it's not something mentioned in the sunnah. The principle is do what the sunnah says, that is the best. Then... There's an example which proves this point about sticking to the sunnah gets you the most reward. There's a hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. Two men were sent by the Prophet ﷺ to go do something on a journey. When they were sent and they went out on the journey, time for the prayer came, but they couldn't find any water. They were traveling along in the desert somewhere. Time for the prayer was about to go, they couldn't find any water. So they made tayammum. And they prayed. Soon afterwards, coincidence, they stumbled across some water. And the time for the prayer was still there. Time for the prayer hadn't finished. And they found water, coincidence. So when they found water, one of them made wudu and prayed again. He said, look, now we found water. And the time for the prayer is still here. So he made wudu properly with water and prayed again. The other one didn't Pray again. Didn't pray again. He said, no, look. The principle is, if you don't have water, you make tayammum and you pray. That's what we did. Now we found water. It's not upon us again to have to repeat now. So he didn't repeat the other one. So you see the difference. One of them, he said, look, the time for the prayer is still here. Hasn't gone yet. 
and we found water now. So let's just make wudu properly, because tayammum is only a substitute. Let's make the water properly, go to the, the original wudu and pray properly. The other one said, no, tayammum is enough now. We did what we could, we looked for the water, we didn't find it, we made tayammum, we prayed. It's not upon us to have to repeat, now we found water again. So he didn't pray. When they came back and they told the Prophet ﷺ what happened, the Prophet ﷺ said to the one who prayed again, repeated it again. He said to him, Lakal ajru marratain. You'll get the reward twice. You have the reward twice. And as for the one who didn't repeat, what did he say to him? He said, Asabta sunnah. You implemented or perfected the sunnah. The sunnah is what you did. So you'll be rewarded high for the sunnah. Because in the sunnah, that's what it is. If you can't find any water, you make tayammum and you pray. Then coincidentally, if you end up finding water and there's still time, you don't have to make wudu again and pray. That is the opinion of the majority of the scholars. So the Prophet said to him, you have done the sunnah. What you did, that is the sunnah. Perfect. And the other one, you have your double reward, you did it again. So the point again being, applying the sunnah is where you get that status. That is the first principle. Sticking to the sunnah, applying the sunnah is better than just trying to do lots and lots of worship. Stick to the sunnah how it tells you, that is better than just trying to do lots and lots of worship. The second principle, we just finish off the second one. العبادات إذا وردت على وجوه المتنوعة فإنها تفعل على هذه الوجوه. There are certain worships Islamically that are mentioned in different forms. We're not talking about differences of opinion, like when you come out of ruku' where do you put your hands? Here or here? We talked about it. That's a difference of opinion. You look into it and you pick one and you do it. That's not what we're talking about, differences of opinion. We're talking about issues, certain worships, where there are different ways of doing it, and all of those ways are correct. All of them in Bukhari, Muslim, etc., they are all correct. Several ways and methods of doing the same worship. Sometimes that exists. There are certain worships in Islam where Allah has given us different variations of how to do it. Like I just gave the example of Hajj. There are three different methods of doing hajj. You can pick which one. Three different ways of doing hajj. Very similar, but just slight differences in how you do it and what you do. Pick whichever one. All of it is valid. One year you could go and do one version. Next year you go do another version. Next time you go do the third version. All allowed. All of them are valid. You pick one. So when you have worships in Islam, where there are different versions, all of them valid, all of them allowed. Then which one should you pick? What is the principle? The principle here is, when you have different versions and they're all allowed, you should try to do them all in turns. We talked about some of the examples like in the beginning, Allahu Akbar, what do you read? Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, that's one version. Are there other versions? There were several other versions. Most people memorize Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. There are other different ones. Four or five different ones. All of them are valid. All of them are authentic. So you should memorize them in one prayer. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. In another one, one of the other ones. Another one, one of the other ones. Variate it. 
When you have variations, you should use them all. The only thing is you don't use them all in one go. So you don't start your prayer and start reading all of the different ones and then a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Pick one. Next prayer, pick another one. Uh, examples of this, one of them we just mentioned before as well at the end of the prayer when you say Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, how many times? There will do different variations. All of them are allowed. So after one prayer you could do one way of it. After another prayer, do another way of it. After another prayer, pick one of the other methods of it. They're all allowed, so pick them and do them. What's the purpose of that? Why should you do it that way? Instead of just learning one and just sticking to one. Because by doing them all, that means you're implementing all of the sunnah. You're implementing all of the sunnah, all of the different things the Prophet taught us. Learn all of the different ways, practice all of the different ways in different times. So that way you are practicing all of the sunnah instead of just one. Also, there's a, a wisdom behind this. One of the wisdoms behind this is that all the people are different. We are all different. Some people might be capable of doing something and not so capable of doing another method. So you have variations in these methods. They may be suitable to one person or something else suitable to another person. Like we said, one of the variations was you can just say, Subhanallah, <coughs> ten times. Maybe somebody... In their work or something, in a rush for dhuhr, asr, daytime, it's very difficult to stay and do the long ones. No problem. Allah's made it easy. You can do the other short method, 10 each. So, some people might be more suitable for them that. Hajj as well. There are three different ways. Tamattu' is like the, 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 the biggest way you could say. Then Qiran and then Ifrat. Different ways and different levels of how much stuff you have to do. For some people, it may be more suitable to do one of the the levels with less involved, and for others to do levels with more involved, different people have different capabilities, so having different uh, methods of worship, that are all allowed, opens it up to people to do, how you are able to do it, so it makes it easy for the people as well, another reason for this is, so that a person does not become robotic, if you have one way of doing something, Imagine now after the prayer or, 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 or the hajj or whatever, there was just one way. And you keep doing that same way. Then after a while, what happens? People end up just doing it without even thinking. Like when the people have the taweez thing, like this, doing it, they're doing it, not even thinking what's going on, what they're doing. Maybe somebody come give them salam, salam alaikum, how are you, everything, and they're still doing it. What are you doing? They're moving their finger, how are you doing, and where did you go, and did you get the shopping, and they're moving their finger. Are they counting anything in their head? Nothing, just habit, habit. Moving the finger, moving the finger on the, on the beads. Moving the beads across, moving the beads across. Somebody comes, they start talking to them and the finger is still moving the beads across. No idea what, what they're counting or anything. So it becomes robotic, like a robot. But if you have different versions, then you can keep changing about and choosing different ones. It doesn't just become robotic for you. Every time then you're doing a different type and it freshens things up. So these are all different reasons for having the worships like that. So when you have that type of different worship option, then you should try to do all of the options. That is the second principle the Sheikh mentions. We'll conclude on that. Next week we'll begin on the chapter about khushu'ah. How do you get focus in the prayer? Chapter about how you get focus in the prayer. And how to stop the whisperings of the shaitan. That's the chapter next week inshallah. Straight after Maghrib again we'll begin 7.30 next week, 7.25. Straight after Maghrib will begin, inshaAllah ta'ala.
وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين